yeah, my husband used to work a lot in kind of health and safety. He's worked for BP, and they used to have these big signs everywhere that had how many days that they hadn't had an incident. So they were everywhere because it's health and safety. So we had one in our kitchen, like how many family days without incident. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Dodds interviewing Vanessa Vallely, OBE. Vanessa was introduced to us by Andy Lopata, our guest from show number 159 and we're really pleased he connected us. Vanessa is one of the UK's most well-networked women and has provided keynotes on a variety of career-related topics for over 500 companies worldwide. Vanessa is also one of the UK's most prominent figures in gender equality and often provides guidance and consultancy to both government and corporate organisations who are seeking to attract, develop and retain their female talent. Vanessa was awarded her OBE in June 2018 for her services to women and the economy. At the height of her successful 25-year career in the financial services, Vanessa launched the award-winning We Are The City in 2008 as a vehicle to help women progress in their careers. WeAreTheCity.com now has over 120,000 members and provides resources, conferences, awards and jobs to women across the UK. Vanessa is also the founder of UK-wide diversity forum Gender Networks. Gender Networks, formerly the Network of Networks, brings together diversity leaders from 85 cross-sector firms to share best practice on a quarterly basis. Vanessa is also the author of the book, Heels of Steel, Surviving and Thriving in the Corporate World, which tracks her career and shares 13 chapters of tips to succeed in the workplace. Over the past 12 years, she's accumulated over 20 industry awards, including Women in Banking and Finance's Champion for Women, Financial News Top 100 Rising Star, the International Alliance for Women Top 100 Women Globally and Brummel's Top 30 London Entrepreneurs. In 2015, Vanessa was in GQ, UK's Top 100 Connected Women and the Evening Standards, a thousand most influential Londoners. Vanessa is a regular guest on TV and radio and also sits on the Government Digital Service Advisory Board. Vanessa is also the Pearly Queen of the City of London, a tradition that has been in her family for over 100 years. She's an avid charity worker and sits on the board for Cancer Research UK as one of its women of influence. Vanessa also sits on the Centenary Action Group founded by Dr Helen Pankhurst, CBE. Back to the studio. Today I'm speaking to Vanessa Vallely of We Are The City. Thanks for joining me, Vanessa. More than welcome. Thanks for having me. So start by telling us who you are, what you do and crucially where you do it. 
my name, oh, sorry, <laughs> you've already said my name. Um, I am CEO and founder of We Are The City. Prior to that, I had a 25-year career in banking across nine different banks, mostly technology middle office roles. The reason I set up We Are The City is because if I roll back 12 years and I look around my leadership table, it's full of men. And the ones that were around my table um, were fantastic men, but their challenges were different to mine. So I wanted to build something that would help women to progress in their own careers um, because there was nothing out there at the time. Gender wasn't even on anyone's agenda. Diversity wasn't a term. So my kind of way that I thought I could help solve things was by building a website and putting all the resources on it that women might need to drive their careers forward. So that's kind of what, where it started. And then over the next seven years, we built a community and I kind of fell out of love of all things banking and <laughs> fell in love with all things kind of female progression. So I hung up my big boots, left my job and focused on We Are The City full time. So today we are around 125,000 women. We look after 150 different corporate clients, helping them to attract, retain and develop their female talent. We do a number of things like awards, conferences, quarterly meetups, at the moment, virtual webinars. Um, we contribute to lots of pieces of research, but we are a hub really for what everyone else is doing around gender. So we put out stuff for the government. You know, what everyone's doing, whether it's a development program, a network, an event, we put that all into We Are The City and we push that out. And then most recently, we've uh, introduced a sister site called wearetechwomen.com, which is exactly the same as We Are The City, but it's for women in tech. So I spend most of my time strategically working on We Are The City and where we're going, what we're doing. Uh, recognizing women below director level because I believe that area that demographic of women the pipeline really needs focusing on because they're the ones that will lead our companies in the future when I'm not doing that invariably I'm on a stage somewhere doing keynotes I do work in schools I sit on a couple of advisory boards other than that two kids two dogs <laughs> I'm like phew I'm out of breath just listening to all of that I did write a book I forgot to mention that. And I'm due to write another one at the end of the year. So, yeah, here's the steal, and then the next one's coming. Brilliant. That sounds so amazing. I'm just going to say now, in case you can hear it, I'm hoping you can't, but every time I do a podcast, now my husband's working from home, I tell him to be really quiet. And without fail, something happens. And I don't know what he's just dropped on his floor, which is above my office. I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it clonked and then it rolled across the floor and uh yes i don't know what it was but it's, it's without fail it's like the uh the sort of draw <laughs> i don't know so, do you want to start then, again no not not at all not at all um so you you do you so you normally work in, in the office but you're now working from home as are as you are your team what sort of transition was that for you i mean I, pretty much overnight like the rest of us i guess yeah, I think, you know, when it when things started to get a bit icky, I remember it was the start of March, so I was really busy the first week of March, because obviously International Women's Day. Mm. So I had about five talks, I had about 15 booked for the rest of March, and, you know, it was starting to creep into the news, and and I just I just knew that it, this wasn't going to work out, it wasn't going to end well, you know, it, I think all the writing was kind of on the wall. So we acted really quickly at We Are The City. I mean, even some of the talks even when I was ringing them and saying, you know, I'm due to a keynote in your organisation, they're like, yeah, that's fine, that's still going ahead. And I'm like, really? Is it? Um, I had the same, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I went to a conference in Birmingham like three days before we went to lockdown and I had to go because I was chairing one of the streams, but I really didn't want to go. And now I think, why did they run it? Yeah, well, we did, I mean, we didn't. Obviously, I mean, most of the things that we had planned were a couple of months away. But yeah. we were 
kind of virtualize them. So things like our awards. We did have a conference that was planned for the end of the year that we actually brought forward and we virtualized. So we've done a big women in tech conference. It's the first thing we'd ever done globally um, on our conferencing platform, which it was incredible. But we, and that kind of came a little bit later. But from a personal perspective, then I sent all the team home. And the first thing we kind of did is thought, how could we help other people? If we're all going to be locked down, and we've worked with a number of speakers and amazing, incredible people over the years. And I put something out on my LinkedIn and said, look, we're going to create this series of free webinars for everyone to kind of keep people motivated because everyone's feeling this state of anxiety. You know, there's lots of things. How, people have not worked from home before. How are we going to manage that with the kids? And, you know, who can help us? And literally, I think that was on the Friday. By the Monday, I had an inbox of about 50 emails from people who you think are all speakers are going to be dramatically affected by what's going on because that's their revenue gone mm. so often to give us their time to help others which I you know is amazing and it's a testament to the individuals that we kind of hang out with so we kicked those off really really quickly and I think we're on about number 48 I think about 5,000 people have attended those webinars so although at first it was like everyone go home okay what are we doing my team have never been busier because yeah. we had to do some of this stuff um they all work remotely and part-time anyway so we're used to kind of floating in and out and most of the time I'm in London but they've really kind of you know continued to work as a very cohesive team so I'm very lucky yeah 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 so let's talk a bit about how this all came about because you 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 know you packed a lot into that sort of intro and, and it all sounds like it all flowed really well and everything else um it's not usual for somebody to have a, a, a sort of strong corporate career particularly in the city and then go off and be all entrepreneurial how did that come about I think I was always an entrepreneur I was just in the wrong box for a number of years you know when I look back when even when I was a kid um I used to sell I used to get crisp packets put them in the oven so they shrink <laughs> yeah <laughs> it allows you to do that I must try and I used to make key rings out of the crisp packets so the crisp would cost me 10p I'd sell I'd eat the crisp I'd sell the um, key ring for, 10, for 20p and I'd make like a 50% markup and kept myself in crisps. So that was when I was 10. So I think I was always kind of a little bit of an entrepreneur. Um, I set up my first business at 21, although I had no business acumen whatsoever, which is a training business. Um, and when I realised I had to pay the tax man and stuff like that, I run back to corporate. So I dipped my hand in a few times. And even I think when I was in corporate, I always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit around yeah. what differently let's take a risk let's try this let's try that which probably served me quite well because that's what kind of a lot of corporates look for these days but I never really enjoyed working for people either I was much more because I didn't want to seek permission you know if I had an idea I just wanted to run with it so I think I was always more of an entrepreneur maybe than I was a corporate worker anyway you know when I think back to the people that I worked for and the jobs that I did it was the one that just let me run amok really that you know worked the best um, I'm just laughing as well that not only were you in corporate you were in banking and you wanted to not follow the rules <laughs> I didn't but I mean I say a lot I worked for some really fantastic gentlemen that and, and they learned to trust me I mean it took mm. a while to build that trust for me to say look I know what I'm doing yeah. you know and the last kind of three of them knew that I was running We Are The City on the side and they absolutely supported me so you know I I mentioned a lot of them in the book but I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't have been able to half build half the things that I've done without kind of their support. But I think, I mean, I never thought, I remember sitting with her, she's still a good friend of mine today. I remember sitting down with her about two years into We Are The City. I was running it off my desk, still kind of in the height of my career. I think I've just more or less taken my biggest job. Well, it was one of my big jobs. 
And I remember her saying, but how are you going to monetize it? And I said, oh, it's never going to be a business. You know, I don't think there's anything to monetize. Bear in mind, we had no products. And we built the community, never selling them anything. So we never had anything to sell. So it was a beautiful shop, but with nothing in it that yeah. anyone could buy. So I think it was, you know, it was when I actually left corporate, I was like, I've got to do something commercial because I need staff. And if I want to do some of the things that I want to do. And again, I was saying to someone the other day, we wrote a business plan because we knew we needed some money for like an office and things like that. And we, a friend of ours had just sold, they'd sold a business and they wanted to reinvest in another business. I like the sound of what we were doing. And they said, well, look, give us some money and we'll consider for you for some investment. And I remember that weekend, Stuart and I pouring so much time over this business plan and then cracking a bottle of champagne when, when we'd finished it. And I, I've looked at it in the last couple of years and it was like, I was going to solve world peace with this business. <laughs> It was nothing but a pipe dream. I mean, I look at it now and I don't think we could deliver half of that stuff now, kind of 12 years on. But, <laughs> but the thing is, the business plan never actually got to that investor. So I sent it off to a couple of mentors of mine and one gentleman that I used to work for and said, can you kick the tires on this, rip it apart? I'd rather you guys do it before it goes off the investor. And one of them came back and went, don't send it to the investor, I'll give you the money. Oh my goodness. So, so that's where we started. We got a little bit of seed investment from someone I used to work with and that gave me the money to hire my first team member to set up my office I and mean, he still owns 30% of the company um he's very kind of laid back he kind of doesn't get involved that much unless I need him but yeah so that's the way we did it I mean I suppose if I was to do something similar again I'd go for a lot more money I now realize I didn't go for enough um, but I probably wouldn't have got it you know it probably would have taken yeah. me a few years to kind of get to that point but that's where we began and then we built out some of the products that were in the business plan but again they've evolved because you watch where the times are going and you say right I can I can build something to respond to that or there's a lack of women here we can do something there so it's very much morphed into into different things and, and what we do when we are tech women is very much of a repeat on what we do for all industries on rising stars so once you've got a product and a model you can just kind of roll it out in different ways so that's that's what we do Mm-hmm. And when all the um, Me Too stuff happened, um, did that create a, like a step change in what you were doing and your visibility as well? Because diversity, we've, we've talked about forever, but it seems like every so often there's, there's something big that happens. And obviously we've got the, the Black Lives Matter um, stuff that's happening um, at the moment as well, as well as obviously the pandemic and everything else. But um, it really seems to sort of become part of everyone's sort of visible stuff <laughs> I can't think of the right word um when things like that happen I think some you know in corporate there's always conversations about you know diversity and everything else and equal opportunities you know from years ago but it, it suddenly become something that you know, you know school children know about and you know grannies have heard of now sort of thing was that a, a big difference it was before me too so I mean we started in 2008 I think mm. Helen Morrissey sat up the 30% Club initiative and yep. then Davis Review mm. um, around 2010. That's mm. when it started to bubble. Right. Even when we set up, there were about four women's networks around. You know, there's some that had been around for years. Like you look at Women in Banking and Finance and mm. uh, what's the other one? Uh, City Women's Network. They were like the original networks. And I mean, now there's like 2,000 women's networks that we know of in London alone. Wow. Even when I started, there were still really those four. Um, there wasn't anything, there wasn't no focus on women kind of getting together. Yeah. You know, there were a couple of others that were more kind of entrepreneurial. 
And then I think when they had the Lord Davis review and then they started to push it, it got to the top of the agenda within firms, which then cascaded down around, okay, how do we solve this problem around lack of women at the top, but also then how do we build the pipeline? So that's when I think the doors really open. Every now and then something like Me Too comes along, which, you know, further validates the point around, mm. you know, the, whether it's the societal mistreatment of women or, you know, whether it's in a corporate perspective or, or whether it's in life, which, yeah. you know, takes a, a, a lot of good, you know, because it pushes it back up to the forefront of, of everyone's minds. Mm. Because sometimes these things, you know, you, you see them and then there's loads of talk and then nothing, there's no action. And that's what's really massive yeah. frustrating. Yeah. So I think, you know, around gender, it's, it started off with gender, but I think it's now, it's very important that it's the intersectionality of the women um, within those groups, you know, because just going after women, it isn't good enough. You know, it is, it's the black women, it's the Asian women, it's the women that, um, the individuals that identify as women. There's a whole plethora of different kind of women that need to be helped. So I don't, you know, I never wanted, and that's what's been, I think, wonderful over the last kind of eight, eight years, is seeing those different areas be focused on as well and not just the same demographic mm-hmm. we're never think right if we just put all our efforts into people that look the same think the same and yeah same school yeah. and as the mother of a 13 year old daughter and I know you have daughters um are things changing are you seeing the younger women having a different experience a different perspective it's funny actually is when I go into I go into a lot of schools and some of them are all girls schools and some of them are, are, are mixed and I don't see a lack of ambition there at mm. all. I think depending on where I am in the country, uh, sometimes, you know, um, but I don't see, I see a bit of a fire in, in their belly. And yeah. I do see, you know, even when I talk to my own girls, they don't see that they, there's nothing that they can't do, that mm. there's nothing. That, I think it's very much, I think we all start out like that from a confidence perspective, you know, thinking, and it's life and different situations and things that happen that chip away at that confidence. So, you know, it's when you get, if you join the workplace, you think, well, then what's to stop me being CEO of this company? And then you hit the politics and you hit the yeah. passed over and bit by bit, that chipper attitude that you've got, that you can do it, gets, gets chipped away. Mm-hmm. And so the confidence. So, you know, I just, I just hope that when they join organisations that, those scenarios don't necessarily happen and they, they retain that view that they can get to the top in those organisations and they won't hit a glass ceiling or be stuck on a sticky floor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've not heard that last one. I like that. <laughs> so, so what about... My, um, that's my mastermind thing. I should have kind of, you know, different descriptions of women not being able to get ahead. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I'm intrigued about how you make this work for you and your life because you sound like you've got tons of energy. You've clearly got a, you know, a, a family, animals, as you said. Um, you've got employees. You sound like before lockdown you were, you know, on a whirlwind of speaking engagements. Never mind everything else. How do you make it all work uh, for you? I've I've always been a bit hyperactive. I think. <laughs> You know, I've, I've always had a lot of energy and I always like to have, if anything, I get a little bit antsy when I don't have something big on the go. Yeah. That energy can, can be quite negative sometimes if I don't, don't do something with it. So my, what, you know, my sister-in-law says, oh, just watching you, I feel like I need a lay down. Um, I'm sorry, lie down. Um, but I think I've always been used to running this pace. Don't get me wrong, it does get to a point sometimes where 
probably I mean my husband's a good leveler he kind of says don't bite off more than you can chew like you know that's a big thing that you're doing there and you're also running this this and this so I don't listen most of the time but sometimes sometimes I do because he's got a point but just so he doesn't say told you so no no but he's very he's very good like that like sometimes you go no enough now you know because you just achieve that um because you know I tend to I'm very optimistic as well I think yep we can do that and and I don't just like to deliver something. I like to put bells and whistles on it and, and stuff like that. So I think sometimes I have got taught my, kind of tied myself up in knots because I've done too much. Mm-hmm. But I get up quite early. I'm a, I'm a big, if I, if I need to do something, I do it right that moment. I'm never, you know, there's often a, an argy-bargy between me and my husband because I call him in a minute man, you know, <laughs> I do that in a minute, whereas I would have done it and then I'm on to the next thing. So yeah. I think it's just the way, way that I was conditioned to work. Mm. And that started mm-hmm. when I was a kid with me, just me and my mum. You know, we used to, she used to run four different jobs of a night and she used to work the day and we just had to get things done. And if you had time, you did it then. So, yeah, it probably, probably stems from them. Yeah, yeah. And, and how do you stop? How do you take time out? I've discovered gardening. Ooh. I don't know anything. Um, I've got quite a big garden where I bought a house a couple of years ago um, that really needed a lot doing to it. it was, I think it'd been on the market a good year because no one else, everyone was frightened to touch it. But again, ever the optimist, I can do that. Um, I can run like 13 builders living with me whilst running a business and everything. So yeah, it was a bit manic. Was a, that was one of the things Stuart told me I couldn't do, but we did it. Um, so I think where I've kind of found my solace is in the garden. Um, I'm not very good. I went for a period of killing loads of stuff, but um, I think I'm getting a lot better now. I'm even starting to mess around with different feeds and, and getting quite technical. And I know how to prune roses. So it's early stages, but I, I tend to do that. I walk the dogs. I run um, once or twice a week when I can, or I see, um, I go to the gym, obviously when it's open. So I've always been fairly kind of fit in yeah. that respect. Um, but they're normal, kind of normal things. I don't get enough time. There's loads of things I don't get, still don't get enough time to do. I don't get enough time to read. Um, things like things like nonfiction. If I read a book, it tends to be around gender because I need to read it for work. Mm. So that's, that's about it, really. A bit of gardening, a bit of running, a bit of walking the dogs. I love being outside. I live near um, a lovely river and I live near uh, woods because I decided to kind of move more rural for my own mental health a few years ago. Mm. So I'm often, I'm, I'm around water or I'm, I'm in a tree, I'm in with a load of trees mm-hmm. when I, and days start like that for me. That's first start of day, walk the dogs in a wood somewhere or somewhere where it's green. And it's a lovely like, contrast to the city. Totally. Although I, I went there, I went out to go for another reason and it was completely empty and desolate. Um, and it was beautiful. I love the architecture of the city. I've got a bit of a thing about buildings. And just to walk around on my own and just look up, you know, if you look up at the top of the buildings in the city, you see some amazing things like gargoyles and different kind of st- statues that you wouldn't normally notice when you're speeding through at 90 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So it was absolutely lovely just to walk through and just, I was the only one there walking through Royal Exchange. It was, it was very eerie. Yeah. Um, I did miss it at that moment. I did kind of, I closed my eyes and I could picture the people trying to get to their offices and getting out for that quick lunch and all the memories that that area brings back for me anyway. Yeah. But yeah, very, very strange. But I do miss it. But I don't, I even when I look at now what the future world of work looks like, I don't think we will go back to how it was. I don't particularly want my life to go back to how it was in terms of the commuting and the late nights and, mm. you know, dashing in and out of buildings. But I don't think that people will be there for me to see. So no. we'll be doing more virtual stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was saying it's, my sort of meetings have come to me now because I always wanted to meet people virtually, but I used to feel obliged to go into London or go locally, you know, yeah. take three hours to have a half an hour meeting or whatever. Now I don't need to do that. No, but also you can build. I mean, when I was doing the tech conference recently, there was, um, I think we had about 90 speakers. I knew I would say a good 15, 20 of them were previous relationships. Yeah. But the rest of them, I built relationships with online. I mm. feel like I know them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I saw them, you know, all the things we had, one to, I had one-to-one Zoom calls with every single one of those speakers. I built a big global network in, you know, in what was eight weeks. Yes. Yeah. 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 It was incredible. And I didn't spend a penny on going on the train. And I didn't lose hours and hours of my day. So absolutely can be done. It has made, for me, the world seem smaller. I have a number of um, people I'm working with in Australia. And just the fact that I speak to Australia four or five times a week just mm-hmm. makes, even though, you know, I knew people over there already anyway sort of thing, but just the fact that it seems normal and everyone seems to be accepting of it, it, it's, it does make the world just feel so much smaller. I like it. And I think mm-hmm. it will continue. I think firms have got a bit to do around their infrastructure to make things more seamless. Like there's still organisations I deal with that are not allowed to use Zoom, that are, yeah. you know, on quite clunky uh, video conferencing systems that don't allow them to do so many things. So I think the firms have got some work to do on the tech side yeah. to new collaborative tools and, you know, things like Teams and stuff like that. But yeah, absolutely 100% better. There's not much that I can't do virtually. Mm. I do miss, the one thing I do miss is obviously when I'm doing my talks, and things. I miss standing on a stage. I miss that buzz of the audience. I miss looking out and seeing people's faces and mm. that aspect of it I miss. And just yeah. the opportunity to meet someone face-to-face. I think you can't beat it, that connection that you get. So I, I kind of miss that because I used to do that like five times a month. So mm-hmm. and, and getting into schools and talking with kids. Yes, yeah. They're bored of me now. They've had enough lectures. <laughs> Yeah, you need some fresh ones to talk to now. <laughs> so how do you um, go about organising your day and your time? I mean, it does sound really hectic. How do you make sure you get done what you need to? I generally wake up about six o'clock. And the first thing I do is, like everyone, I suppose, look at their phones. It's not a good thing. I do my social media. So if we've got anything going on at We Have a City that day, like we're doing a webinar, I make sure I go across my different accounts and I post that. You know, I check in on all the different Twitter feeds, check in on my own LinkedIn, anything there I need to post. So, um, and then I have a little look at Facebook because that's where the family are. So just making sure that, you know, anyone's posted anything new. So that's the social media side of it. Stuart, Stuart gets up about four o'clock, half past four. He's always been an early riser, but he says he wants an hour and a half piece before <laughs> the rest of So he, um, he brings me a cup of tea. I then get up, we generally straight roll into some sort of gym kit at the moment, walk the dogs, say go and absorb myself in what I call my forest bath, Mm -hmm. Uh, come back after the dogs and then straight away, I mean, it's been days where there's been back-to-back Zoom calls and again, I knew that wasn't good for my mental health. I was literally jumping from one call to another. I wasn't seeing anyone, you know, I wasn't eating right because I was on so many calls. So I've kind of got that balance now that that doesn't happen. Yeah. That's about it, really. On calls, I put a block in my diary at four o'clock, take the dogs back out. We come back, we cook as a family. And when we first started lockdown, we had this thing that we had to have breakfast, lunch and dinner together, which was never going to work. <laughs> but that soon went out the window when we had what was equivalent of World War Three in our kitchen. Um, 
We eventually, my husband used to work a lot in kind of health and safety, he's worked for BP, and they used to have these big signs everywhere that had how many days that they hadn't had an incident. So they were everywhere because it's health and safety. So we had one in our kitchen, like how many family days without incident. And I can't tell you how many that came down after about four days. It came down again at 13, you know, when we'd had this major meltdown as a family. So that's about it, really. And other than that, of a night, we'd just walk the dogs, watch a bit of telly. Yeah. There are some nights when I have to work and I work different times. Like, for example, this week I was doing some judging um, for a big set of awards. So that involved two evenings this week because I couldn't fit it in in the day. So, and that was like reading 60 different nominations and making notes. So, but I don't mind because, you know, incredible stories that I read about this week, absolutely inspiring and shows you kind of how lucky you are in life. So mm-hmm. I don't mind giving my evenings up for it at all. Yeah. It's interesting you talk about um, sort of raised expectations about family time at the beginning of lockdown. We did exactly the same. We had lunches in the, well, we still, in fact, we still got them in the diary, but no one pays any attention to them. We just still go and have our lunch when we want and probably try and avoid each other, if anything. I think we're quite good now. Like the kids will pop in. If they know I'm on calls and I haven't eaten and they're making something, they're, they're, they're fling me in some food, but it really yeah. is like a better feed. It's like feed the dogs, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I just give give my husband a thing yesterday. It's like I had back to back calls like all day from like eleven o'clock, and I just said, "Can I have a cup of tea? And can you bring me some licorice because I haven't eaten anything?" So so I just ate sweets, which was uh, lush. I felt. (laughs) I I have these little four o'clock munchies now. If I don't eat like that, I literally raid the fridge at four o'clock. That's another (laughs) thing. It's been incredible. I mean, I didn't know my kids could eat so much. My shopping bill has gone through the roof. Yes. Yeah, we felt the same. Yeah. Why are we having three course lunches? Tell me that. You know, <laughs> and also the, the, the funny thing was that my, my little one, my bigger one, obviously, at university generally lives on life of pot noodles. Comes yeah. home and starts wanting things like spinach and quinoa. I was like, you quinoa, kid. You know, <laughs> this is pale, please, mum. Why haven't you got noodles? This is nice to do. Oh, brilliant. So, yeah. Uh, tech, as you have been, and uh, we've talked about getting things done. What um, tools and apps would you recommend? There, there, I presume will be a few. Oh, I'm, uh, do you know that so I'm a real tracker. Um, I track everything in my life. Like I track obviously my exercise. I track um, you know various health things that us women go through. Um, I track how much I drink. Um, so I've got this whole. I've got a reminders because when we first set up. When, sorry when we first kind of went into lockdown there were things that I wanted to make sure that I broke up my day like to do a piece of like a house job like a cupboard that I've always wanted to sort out I thought I thought if I come out of this and I've not cleared out one cupboard it's a wasted <laughs> wasted time for me. yeah my reminder that that I have on my phone and say I've got my drink aware app where I can log those all too frequent glasses of wine especially at the start of lockdown um kind of got that under control uh, my exercise from a work perspective we use zoom we use teams so when something pops in my head, I can just stick it on the teams. We've got like a workflow and stick it on there, assign it to someone. It's cut down our email astronomically. Mm. The amount of time we were emailing each other backwards and forwards. Um, I mean, most of my team can kind of finish my sentences. They know exactly what we need to do. But just in case I, I wake up like I do sometimes three o'clock in the morning, go, oh my God, we need to do that. You know, I just literally can just go on my phone and put it in the Teams task. It's done. Yeah. So they're, the, they're the kind of main things that, that I use. Um, mm. I've got things as well have uh, sleep apps yeah that, that I use um, there's there's various different 
kind of my time of life apps as well, <laughs> you know, menopause and stuff like that. I've been keeping my eye on that one because I know that's coming. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a big app fan, actually. What did we ever do without our phones? <laughs> I don't know, because like ordering your shopping, it's like banking. If I can't yeah. find my phone, my, you know, my life is, is gone because every, yeah. everything is on there. So yeah, absolutely. But then again, I'm a technologist, aren't I? So I'm always going to have, it's like the house that I live in because we're both technologists. Everything speaks. If you <laughs> ask one question about 40 different things, answers. It's <laughs> the real. You know, everyone's got an Alexa. And, and my husband's programmed the Alexa to, um, to when you ask him who's the greatest in the household, it answers, it's Stuart. El Capitan, Le Grand Fromage. And, and it's got about another 60 compliments that come after that so he's he's getting quite geeky with the alexa it oh, does brilliant. things yeah you can't answer it a simple question without a very tailored answer that he's programmed into it yeah oh i need to get get ellie on the case so my my daughter um for my birthday they bought me a um a, a light that changes color for the bedroom and um and you can control it as you've just said uh, i'm just saying that so that mine doesn't listen <laughs> start doing things and um uh the first sort of couple of nights I was quite impressed with it and I was telling it to switch off and it, it switched off and then it switched back on again. I thought, that's a bit odd. It's not working very well. So I switched it off again and then it came back on again. I switched off again and came back on again. And I was just about to go and say to Ellie, thinking things not working and I could hear her laughing. Turns out she was telling her own Alexa, it all sort of talking to me now, um, to switch my light on. So every time I switched it off, she was switching it back on again. So it wasn't a fault at all. Yeah. And then she, then she admitted that sometimes when her dad's in the kitchen and he's got music she doesn't like or the radio playing football stuff or whatever, she changes the channel or changes it to play a certain thing again from her bedroom. We have all sorts of things like that. Again, it's just, but if that's how the world's moved on with technology. You know, we've got a robot Hoover doesn't do a job like I do, but it certainly keeps on top of bits and pieces. You know, yeah. the doorbell. You know, so everything talks. We've you got know, a kettle that's connected to the internet now, so that, that I can boil the kettle. Apart from my husband bought it, he's created a rod for his own back because, firstly, he never remembers to fill it up, and of course, it doesn't work if there's no water in it. No. See, there's certain things technology can never do. No, that's exactly. It. And the other thing is, it dobs him in all the time. If he makes himself a drink and doesn't make one for me because I get a, a notification on my phone that the kettle's boiled. There is that tech, right? I think we're very lucky in the, in the world that we live in that we can just turn lights off off by just a mm. command and stuff like it makes you wonder where we'll be in 20 years time yeah absolutely absolutely well I, I my dad died 31 years ago and he was at the forefront of technology and the internet hadn't even been invented when he died so i just think you know how much has changed in you know a comparatively short space of time so yeah as you say so what about talking about that actually good segue um into you know as things go into the future and, and obviously you're in this sort of tech world anyway how do you learn and keep up to speed with what's what's happening around you I and mean, I, I guess a lot of the time when you're speaking you need to really know you know what's what and all the sort of latest information I talk around around career progression for women and what they can do to drive their own careers haven't changed much over the last 30 years so there's no magic bullet there you know in terms of this is something new that you can do because it's all down to behaviors mm. you know and organizations changing their culture so that we don't have to push that hard to be noticed. You know, eventually, I hope that I don't have content to talk about anymore because women will be getting noticed. And I'm not yeah. telling them, and, you know, make sure you do this or make sure you do that or, you know, think about this, for example. So 
I think, I mean, in terms of my own learning, from a tech perspective, I keep up to date because when I'm designing tech conferences, you know, originally I put down a group of subjects and then I speak to speakers and every single one of the talks that I had with the speakers on the tech conference taught me so much. So um, I say I, I read a lot of work-related stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can go off down rabbit holes once I get onto a website. And what's that? And then what's that? And what's that? And before I know it, it's like two hours later. So, yeah. um, so I just I just make sure that I do keep informed. If I, if I come across a term and I don't understand it, I'll find someone who's you know an expert in that field, and I'll just dig about so I have a basic understanding. And then if it really interests me, then I try and like sharpen my pencil a little bit around being a bit more of an expert. But mm-hmm. That's basically what I do, what everyone else do. If something interests them, there are certain things that I need to do, like, you know, when certain books come out and stuff, because I know I'm going to get asked for an opinion on it. So I have to read those. Um, but yeah, I thought Twitter's a great place for me. I read mm. people's leadership. Obviously, we are the city 15,000 articles deep. So if I really wanted to go on a read first, I could be there for a few years. <laughs> well, I said to you before we started that I, uh, I added uh, We're the City to my uh, Feedly account and uh, I read so many great articles on there that I'm showing left, right and centre and then thinking that I probably ought to throw somebody else's articles in for a while, not just, not just the same domain every time. We have an amazing array of different women that write for us. We've always, you know, it's, it's, we don't have a scheduled team of writers. I've got a couple of my journalists in the team, mm. but they're sent in by individuals that have got opinions, coaches, people that work in corporate, you know, if it if it's valid for women and we feel it's going to help them or share some top tips, then 100% we share it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. So last couple of questions then. Um, firstly, what happens if it all goes horribly wrong and you have one of those awful days where nothing's going right? How do you deal with that? Oh God, I get them a lot where it goes wrong for whatever reason. Um, it depends on what mindset I'm in. You know, everyone has their down days and I'm not, I say, I, I don't count myself as not having those at all. I think there are times when things go wrong and my, my initial reaction would be kind of from a fight and flight perspective, how do I fix it? That's always, you know, but there are certain things that you just can't fix mm. and you just have to absorb them. I'm not one to kind of put my head in the sound about things. I, even if I can't fix something to the outcome I would have liked, I like to be happy in myself that I've done my best to rectify something, mm. to get it back to where it needs to be. Um, mm. But yeah, that's that's how I attend. And then things do go wrong, you know. Nothing, you know. Who who do we know where everything they turn they touch turns to gold? You know, I've had things, ideas that have gone horribly wrong. I've made horrible, like the wrong decisions in the past. I've worked for the wrong firms, worked for the wrong people. <laughs> that's just that's just life, right? We're not born with the book that tells us how to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. But I think also it really does matter who you've got around you. You know, having that support network. I have what I call my kind of circle of trust. Uh, a couple of women that have been around, they're in the corporate world still, whereas I kind of left. But they're the ones that I bounce things off of. They're the ones that kind of bring me that rationale that, no, the world's not going to end, if kind of that's how I'm thinking. I think everyone needs, whether it's one person or three, you know, or a partner or a best friend, we, just, we all need that person to bounce off of. But it's really important that you talk about those feelings and that you don't just keep them yourself because I don't think that's that's doesn't help mm, no and what about um those days where you get to live more so that's where you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do what do those days look like for you that's the plan right because this is had to have a little bit more of those this year because I say I don't think I've actually stopped working since the pandemic so mm. I, 
the plan will be, um, so I'm going to take a little bit, my birthday's in August, so I'm going to do some family stuff with what we can do within mm -hmm. social media and stuff like that. I'm going to try and go to a place where we're allowed to go uh, that's hot and sunny uh, just for a couple of days, and then I'm going to come back and write my book. But one of the things that I want to do is to spend more of the times doing things that perhaps I don't do that often, but I really, really enjoy. So going on like a two-hour walk, not restricting it to half an hour or 45 minutes, you know, perhaps digging over a complete bed in my garden and redesigning it and replanting. You know, mm -hmm. I want to do a little bit more of those things. I did, um, during lockdown, there was a very old bird bath table that was left by the previous owners here and it's been tucked away in the corner of my garden and I got that out during lockdown and I sanded it down and I painted it and I'm useless at anything like that, but I give it a go. But I want to do more of that. There's some little bits and bobs knocking around that I think, like there's an old car out the front that I want to kind of repair and paint. So I'm going to go off and be like Lady of the Land. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they mentioned of that cupboard. Did you do the cupboard clean out? <laughs> and then I started paying the kids to do the rest. <laughs> I see. Once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. <laughs> right, to be able to sort out a cupboard. So, um, yeah, but I did do a lot of them. I love it. I, I love opening up a cupboard and I can actually find things. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've done the same. I've got my daughter. She she put all my spices in alphabetical order. She's had to do that a couple of times, but I pay her a pound a time, so she's not bothered. Oh, I absolutely love her. But I must admit, the last time when I looked in the drawer, the crisps were there, like all in a nice, neat line. But the, oh. now I won't let them put the shopping away because they're going to mess it up. Yeah, exactly. And and when you see the crisps, do you feel tempted to to get that oven on and start shrinking them? No, but um, do you know what? I reckon they've changed the composition of plastic. I think they probably have. Yeah, I think I think you need to test it though. You know, um, it's in my head now. It's on one of those jobs when I'm Lady of the Land. <laughs> Brilliant! It's been great interviewing you, Vanessa. Thank you so much. Tell people how they can find out about you and connect with you. Oh, I mean, go to We Are the City, right? So if you want to drive your career, any age group, you know, we're not just about kind of you know, but just at the start of your career. You may just need that rejuvenation. Um, in terms of what you want to do. So wearethecity.com is a great place to go. If you're on the tech side, wearetechwomen.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, W-A-T-C underscore girl, um, or uh, the We Are The Cities website, which is underscore updates. Uh, so that's basically where you can find us on LinkedIn as well. And I'm on Instagram um, under Vanessa Vallely OBE. Brilliant. Thank you so much. In fact, you've just said OBE. I forgot that bit. We should have talked about that somewhere on the line. Tell us more about that. How did that happen? Go on. I'll give you another. It's fantastic. It happened two years ago. For me, you know, being able to take my mum and dad to somewhere like that, given where we kind of started back in the tower block in Hackney, was, was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I was nominated a few years. I found out all this, obviously, subsequently, because you don't know anything about it. Mm. Um, afterwards, it was a group of people that I worked with that got together and nominated me to the cabinet office. And that was about four years later that I actually got the letter. Mm. So it took quite a long time. Um, and it was fabulous because it just gives you a platform to do more. And it, you know, that recognition is amazing. But I've paid it forward quite a lot. I think I've done about five nominations myself now for others to get Queen's Honours that are doing amazing stuff, you know, in the charity, in the gender space. Um, and one of them actually got a CBE last year. Oh, so. Yeah. If, if everything fails, I know what I'm going to do for a living. I'll just write people's honours nominations. <laughs> Brilliant. Great end to the interview. Thanks, Vanessa. That's all right. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 168, you'll find them there. And this week, I want to talk about email marketing 
which is the topic that we focused on at Counterpoint Networking this week. It's really important to think about mailing your list on a regular basis. One of the things that we uh, were talking about is how sometimes you can have your list and you can email them sporadically. And actually, that doesn't help you to build a relationship with those people. And actually, in extreme cases, it can sometimes mean that your emails end up going to spam or people select them as spam, which then impacts your email deliverability. So one of the key things is to make sure that you're mailing on a regular basis. But also it's then about what you're sending, because what you're trying to do is connect with people. So not just send them information, you want to send them information that really works for them and is really good quality so that it really showcases who you are and what you can do for them. So remember, it's not just about connecting, it's about making a connection. And it's about trying to get those people to take action. And that is maybe to contact you, to download a lead magnet, to click on a link, to uh, ask you what questions they have. There's various different uh, ways that people can take action as a result of receiving your email. So it's important to think about the quantity of emails that you send. But the main thing is really about the quality and what you're doing to engage with those people. Great news last week was that Aweber, who are the people that I use for my mailing list, and I'm actually an Aweber certified expert, uh, have introduced a free um, tier to their offering. So in the past, uh, people would do things like compare MailChimp, for example, with Aweber, and they have a free um, offer to begin with until you get to a certain level of subscribers and Aweber didn't have that and so it wasn't such a compelling offer from that point of view. I really like Aweber, I've been with them since about 2008. They're constantly developing, I think they're really thinking about how best they can serve their customers whilst also keeping a really uh, clear and uh, simple interface so it isn't really difficult to get started with them or to get to use the tools that they're providing but there is some real sophistication in what you can do. So there's lots of opportunity to use tagging when you're mailing and uh, using it to use it to segment your list into different groups of people to allow you to almost use your Aweber installation as a sort of CRM so that you can tag people and know that, you know, these people are interested in this and these people are interested in this and these people are the people who open your emails the most and these people are you know whatever the other criteria is so there's some real sophistication in there but it's actually as i said quite a simple interface so really quick and easy to get started with them so if you're interested in aweber and you don't have an email marketing system set up at the moment or it's not working very well for you then have a look at joedodds.com forward slash recommends forward slash aweber and what they do as part of their service is if you're transferring from an existing email provider, they will actually help you to transfer your uh, people, your contacts over and get your account set up. So do have a look at that, jojods.com forward slash recommends forward slash Aweber. And a reminder about Counterweight Networking on Monday, the 27th of July. And this time we're talking about elevator pitches. So if you'd like to come to that, it's counterweightnetworking.co.uk. And again, the show notes are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 168. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more.